Scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. I'll be reading from the New King James translation. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Memorials come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes we put memorials at a place where maybe a battle or something significant has taken place. And people can go to that location and they can visit that memorial and remember what happened. Sometimes memorials are time-specific. For example, as the year goes by, we'll celebrate Memorial Day. And we'll celebrate the 4th of July and we'll celebrate Veterans Day. And, and on those particular days, we're remembering certain things about who we are as a people and what's meaningful to us as a country. And that's the way memorials are. Sometimes they're time-specific. Sometimes they're location-specific. Sometimes they're tangible. You can see it and you can touch it. Memorials are important, though, because when a society and a culture puts up memorials of some kind, it says, this is who we are. This is something really important about our identity. God has given his people a very solemn memorial known as the Lord's Supper. And just like you might go to Washington, D.C. and see the memorials that have been constructed there, or just like you might observe the 4th of July or Veterans Day, the memorial that we observe on the first day of every week, it says something very profound about who we are and about what's important to us. And so this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking specifically about the Lord's Supper. Over the last year, I have had personally to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of thinking about how and why I've been observing the Lord's Supper. I imagine you're probably in the same boat because our circumstances have changed dramatically from what they were, say, in February of 2020. But it's good for the people of God to stop sometimes and just to think about what these memorials mean, and what this one specifically is all about. So let's study this together this morning. The Lord's Supper, what is it? What is it for? What does it mean? When you read the New Testament, you'll find four different terms to describe the Lord's Supper. We sometimes use these terms almost interchangeably. It's called sometimes the breaking of bread. In Acts 2 verse 42, the scripture says of the first Christians that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The breaking of bread, it refers to not just eating a meal, a common meal together, but it refers to the Lord's Supper, an avenue, an act of worship by which we honor and remember Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. The Lord's Supper is also called communion. 
The Greek word is koinonia, fellowship. And in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17, as the apostle makes the argument that you can't go and eat at the table of idols because when you're celebrating idols, you can't have fellowship, communion with idols, and have communion, fellowship with the Lord Jesus at the same time. It doesn't work that way. And so when we talk about communion, it's the word fellowship, it's the word koinonia, and it refers to a sharing and a participation in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. A third term is the Lord's table, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21. A table prepared by Jesus himself, and he invites those who belong to him to come and to observe and to remember what he's done for us. And then finally, we use this term probably most frequently, it's called the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 20. The Lord's Supper. All four terms refer to the same event, the same memorial, whether we talk about it as communion, a fellowship with Jesus, with his body and blood, and a fellowship with the people of Christ, or whether we talk about it as the breaking of bread, because literally that's what we're doing. We're taking the bread that represents his body, or whether we refer to it as the Lord's Supper, a meal that's eaten in memorial and remembrance of who Jesus is. Those are the terms. With all that in mind, let's just look at the Lord's Supper in four different ways this morning. We're going to talk, first of all, about what it means. We're going to talk, secondly, about how to observe the Lord's Supper, its observance. Thirdly, we're going to talk about preparation, because all of us need to prepare ourselves. When we come to, together as God's people, we need to be prepared to honor Jesus in this way. And then fourth, we're going to talk about, as we think about the Lord's Supper this morning, the blessings that God intends for us. The blessings. With all that in mind, let's talk first of all about its meaning. As we gather around the Lord's table, as we observe the Lord's Supper, as we have communion, what does it mean that we're doing this? If you've got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians 11 if they're not already done, if you've not already done so. Paul read from 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 through 26 just a moment ago. And there's a great deal of meaning and significance that's given to this memorial, to the Lord's Supper, in this particular passage, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 25, that the Apostle Paul writes by inspiration that this is a memorial, first of, first of all. It's a memorial. It's a remembrance I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, Paul says, talking to Christians, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Now watch this. It's highlighted in yellow. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus wants us to remember his body. He wants us to remember the suffering that he endured for us. And he wants us as we eat that bread to remember what's happened to him, how he died for us. In the same way, the, the passage goes on. He also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the first thing we observe about the Lord's Supper is that Jesus intended this to be a memorial, just like you might go to a certain location and remember a battle that was fought or remember a, a great document that was signed. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we remember the death that Jesus died. 
As you think about the memorial aspect of the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about a couple of things. Jesus is making the argument that his body, when it is nailed to the cross, is being offered for us. It's vicarious. He is in our place. He is taking the penalty that was owed to us. His body is given for us. And he's also making the argument that his blood is shed for us. The blood of Jesus is spiritual currency. You can't take a pile of dollar bills and purchase someone's soul, but the blood of Jesus can do it. And so we remember that Jesus died in our place, and we remember that his blood was shed on our behalf as we eat the bread and as we drink the fruit of the vine. This, this is what we are to remember. And it's worth noting that as you read about the Lord's Supper and its significance, pay attention now. As a memorial, the focus is upon specifically his death. I appreciate that Jesus was born, but the Lord's Supper does not refer to the birth of Jesus. I appreciate that Jesus was raised from the dead, but the Lord's Supper is not emphasizing the resurrection of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is emphasizing specifically and uniquely the death that he died for us. So as we remember, we're remembering that he went to the cross, he suffered, he endured all of the pain and the agony and the torture, and he gave up his spirit for you and for me. That is what we're remembering as we focus upon the Lord's Supper. It's a memorial. Not only is it a memorial, but as you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll also notice this. It's a proclamation. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, watch this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we're not proclaiming the resurrection. We're not proclaiming his birth, although those things are important. They're critical. We're proclaiming specifically when we eat the bread and drink the cup that he died for us. And the proclamation aspect means, literally, we are preaching. We're preaching a sermon to each other. We're preaching a sermon to the visitors that are among us. We're preaching a sermon to the little children that are sitting in the pews next to us that are not Christians and don't yet have communion and fellowship with the Lord's body and blood in the way that we do. But we're preaching to them and we're preaching to each other. We're proclaiming that what we are observing, this body and this blood, this means something. He died for us, and we're showing the world, and we're showing each other, this is what we believe. This is what we're all about. Not only is it a proclamation, but it's also involving an anticipation. Again, look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, the last three words, until he comes. The concept is that as we eat the bread and drink the fruit of the vine... We're anticipating the Lord's going to return one day. He died for us, and he's going to return for us one day. And so we're looking forward as God's people. We're looking forward as the Christians that, that meet here in Katy to the return of Jesus. It could happen at any moment. The New Testament teaches he's going to come as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 and 2. And every time we eat the Lord's Supper, we ought to think about that. Maybe this is the last week we'll have to do this. Maybe this is the last week we'll ever observe the Lord's Supper. Maybe he's going to come this week. We're proclaiming and we're anticipating that our Lord's going to return. One more, as you think about the meaning of the Lord's Supper, you've got to go back one chapter to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But the Lord's Supper also involves an identification. 
We are identifying ourselves as those who have fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to the question that the apostle writes. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the fellowship, the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? When I eat that bread, when I drink from that cup, what I'm saying is, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I am a New Testament Christian, and I have fellowship with him. And did you know that you can be sure, you can be certain that you have fellowship with Jesus Christ? Did you know that? In Romans 6, verses 3 through 6, the scripture says that we come into fellowship, we unite with Christ, with his death and his burial and his resurrection when we're baptized. And when we're baptized, we come into fellowship with Jesus Christ and we're identified with him. And as we continue our walk with Christ on the first day of every week, we identify ourselves again. I am one of his children. I am a believer in the death of what, in the significance of the death of Christ for me. I believe that this means something. I'm identifying myself as a believer in Jesus Christ as a New Testament Christian according to the New Testament pattern identification. So as you think about the Lord's Supper and as you observe the Lord's Supper, think about those four aspects. I'm saying this is who I am. And I'm saying, I know the Lord's going to return. And maybe this is, maybe this is the day. And I'm saying, I believe that Jesus died for me. And I believe that he died for the people that are also Christians here. And we're proclaiming that. And I want to remember on the first day of every week, I want to remember what Jesus did for all of us. That's the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Let's talk secondly about its observance. There are some specific things that cannot be neglected when we observe the Lord's Supper. How about the timing? You know, God has offered to us, he has given us five avenues of worship by which we may approach his throne and praise him. Five avenues. We can sing praises to God. We can proclaim and obey God's word from our hearts. Preaching. The Bible says we can offer prayers to God. Singing, preaching, praying. Those are avenues of worship. And those are inspecific concerning time. You can do those things anytime. But there are two avenues of worship that are time specific. One is giving. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2 teaches that it's on the first day of every week that Christians are to give as an avenue of worship to God. And the second that's time specific is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is something that is reserved by God specifically for the first day of every week. Why? Because it's the Lord's day. It's the day that the New Testament church began. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the day that Christians assembled. We find evidence of this in the book of Acts specifically for the purpose of observing the Lord's Supper. Acts 20 verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread... This is a reference to the eating of the Lord's Supper. They're not just getting together for a potluck. They're not just getting together to have a sandwich supper. These Christians were getting together to break bread. And the significance of that expression is that this is the Lord's Supper that they're gathering to observe. And they had to wait for the first day of the week. Why? Because that's what the Lord desired of them. 
Jesus wants his people on the first day of every week to gather together and observe the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. There's this idea of the church gathering. Why do we come together this morning? Well, because on the website it says 10 a.m. worship. I mean, why else would I be here? No. Biblically, we're here to eat together. Biblically, scripturally, we're here. We've gathered for the purpose of encouraging one another, yes, but observing the Lord's Supper, remembering the death of Jesus for us. That's why the early Christians gathered, and that's why we gather as well on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, the scripture mentions that this was the routine habit of early Christians, that on the first day of every week, this is what they were doing. They were coming together as the people of God and giving and the Lord's Supper and preaching the gospel and prayer and singing songs of of praise to God. All of these things were characteristic of their worship together. This is the way they worshiped. It's the way we want to worship as well. The timing, first day of every week. What about the elements? What are we to include when we observe the Lord's Supper? The scripture says that Jesus took bread, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. You see that? On the night he was to be crucified, he took bread and he said, this is my body. And we of, of a certainty know that the kind of bread that Jesus used was unleavened bread. How do you know that? I know that because Jesus was observing the Passover, and the Bible says that the Passover bread was always unleavened. Every year when the Old Testament Israelites observed the Passover, unleavened bread was the order of the day. Exodus chapter 12, verses 15 through 20, the Israelites escaped Egypt one night, and they had to do so in a hurry, and there wasn't time for the bread to rise. And so this was unleavened bread that Jesus was using to institute the Lord's Supper. And then the Bible indicates that Jesus says, this is a cup, he calls it a cup repeatedly, but on two occasions he says, this is fruit of the vine. Fruit of the vine, that's actually the expression in Greek. Fruit of the vine. In Matthew 26, verse 29, and Luke 22, verse 18, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So the elements that we use in the Lord's Supper are unleavened bread, and the fruit of the vine, grape juice. Why? Because that's what Jesus used in order to institute the Lord's Supper. How about this? Our attitude as we observe. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verses 27 through 29. We are to observe the Lord's Supper in a spirit of reverent self-examination. Reverent self-examination. Therefore, it says... Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and I've got that highlighted because that's been the subject of a lot of discussion, but very, very frightening verses. Listen to what it's saying here. If I eat the cup or eat the bread, now if I drink the cup in an unworthy manner, I am going to be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And so here's the warning, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. A bit of context, what's going on here, this unworthy manner, what does this mean? 
When you look at previous verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 through 21 specifically, it's very obvious that what was happening in Corinth in this church 2,000 years ago is that they were coming together and they were eating the Lord's Supper as if it was just an ordinary meal. And the rich people, it seems, were saying, well, we brought the food, and if we brought the food, if we paid for the meal, we ought to get to eat first. Because our poor brethren, they're not bringing much of anything. And we don't want to share with them. I mean, we paid for the food, so we're going to eat first. And then when our poor brethren arrive, if there's anything left over, fine, they can have that. But we're going to go ahead and eat without them. And there's all kinds of things wrong with that. But when Paul says eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, he's saying that all of those people and all of us should be thinking very seriously about what we're doing when we eat the bread and when we drink the fruit of the vine. So eating and drinking in an unworthy manner has two specific areas of application. Number one, we might well partake of the Lord's Supper in a careless, irreverent, or frivolous manner. In other words, we're showing a lack of respect for what Christ has done. I'm not thinking about what he did. That's, that's the farthest thing from my mind. I'm just eating the bread, drinking the cup. Okay, that's what we've done. To do it in a careless or frivolous manner is sinful. It's unworthy. And then secondly, to partake of the Lord's Supper in a way that shows disdain for my brethren. One of the things the Lord's Supper is supposed to do is it's supposed to help us to think about unity among believers. It's supposed to help us to think about one another and about our relationships with one another. And if I'm eating or observing the Lord's Supper in a way that shows that I don't like, I don't respect, I don't love my brother sitting across the aisle over there, there's something wrong with the way I'm observing the Lord's Supper. Unworthy manner. Then this. When we observe the Lord's Supper, if you're looking at 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible emphasizes this is something that God intends for us to do with other Christians. I've got a number of verses, and let me just summarize for you. You can't escape this, this, this language. Verse 17, when you come together. Verse 18, when you come together. Verse 20, when you come together. Verse 33, when you come together to eat. Verse 34, when you come together. Acts 20, verse 7, when the disciples came together to break bread. God intends for the Lord's Supper to be something that the church assembles to eat. That's always been his desire. That's always been his way. It's a memorial that is to be shared with others in their presence. That's the teaching of Scripture. And we need to give thought to that as God's people with other Christians. Having thought about the observance of the Lord's Supper, let's talk about preparation, meditation. You know, we don't do a lot of teaching on this in terms of, especially new Christians, people that have just obeyed the gospel. We've been teaching them so much about how salvation works and what Jesus has done for them. And, and, and we just kind of assume that, you know, they're baptized and then the following Sunday they observe the Lord's Supper. You kind of assume, well, 
they know what to do. I mean, you saw everybody else eat the bread and drink from the fruit of the vine. I mean, shouldn't you know what to do as well? Maybe not. Maybe it's not so clear to some of us. What are we supposed to do when we observe the Lord's Supper? Some suggestions. I believe that people ought to prepare beforehand. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And if your Sunday mornings are anything like mine, Sunday mornings are anything but still. They're busy, and there are people to greet, and there are children to get dressed. And then, not my children, but your children. There are, there are all kinds of things to make preparation for. And thinking about the memorial and the solemn feast that we're about to partake in, that sometimes takes a back burner. There's a need for us to stop and to prepare beforehand and to still our hearts and to think about what Jesus has done for us. One of the things I appreciate about the way we observe the Lord's Supper here at Katy is that we always begin with a scripture reading. And the scripture always relates to the death of Jesus in some way. Either it's the institution of the Lord's Supper, the significance of it, or some some passage that talks about the cross and how Jesus gave up his spirit for us. That's part of preparation, preparing our hearts and minds to observe. Incidentally, I'm just going to say this because this was new to me. Just about two months ago, I figured out these new communion things that we have because of COVID. Everybody's got their own individual little cup. I was just trying to peel that top layer off, just, just, just straight. Did you know that you're supposed to take the little triangle tab that's on the end, and you're supposed to bend that triangle down, and then you're supposed to bend it back up, and then you're supposed to peel? Am I the only one that didn't know that? Maybe I am. Okay. I promise. If, if I didn't know it, I promise at least somebody in here didn't know that. Bend the tab down, lift the tab up, and it's so much easier to peel because what was happening to me, and this is preparation, okay? What was happening to me was I was trying to peel that little, the, the, the wafer layer off, and it's just really hard to get. And so the guy that would pray, and, and he'd go sit on the pew for a few moments and, and let everybody meditate, I'm still trying to peel the top layer off when he gets back up. This is preparation. I want to be able to eat and to remember and to think. And maybe that helps you. I hope it does. Preparation is important. Not only that, how can I observe the Lord's Supper in a way that is significant, that's meaningful? One of my favorite things to do is to read Scripture. Oftentimes, you can just sit there and read what's on the screen because there are some really helpful thought-provoking scriptures that we put up there on the screen. You could read about the cross in Matthew 27 or in Mark 15 or in Luke 23 or in John 19. Read about the suffering of Jesus. Read about the people and what they were saying around Jesus at the cross and read about the miracles that happened at the cross. But we're thinking about his death and the suffering that he endured for us. Read scripture. I've done this many times. During the Lord's Supper... Why not contemplate the words to a song that deals with the death of Christ? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Or, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Think about the words and what they mean. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
It helps us to think about what Jesus has done for us. If you're human, oftentimes during the Lord's Supper, you may find yourself drifting. You may find yourself thinking about what's happening after services. We've got plans to eat with somebody. We've got, we've got things that we've got to take care of this afternoon. You're thinking about other things besides the death of Jesus. When you find yourself drifting and you realize, I need to be thinking about what Jesus has done for me. Here's what you do. Repent. Refocus. Speak to God about it. God, I know that this is the time in the week when you want me with all of my brethren to think about what your son Jesus did for me. And God, I need strength and I want to be able to do this in a way that pleases you. By the way, this is worship. The way we observe the Lord's Supper shows whether we really honor the sacrifice of Jesus or not. It shows whether it really means something to us or not. The way we observe the Lord's Supper says something about our hearts and where they are. Finally, the blessings of the Lord's Supper. How does the Lord's Supper bless us? What blessings does God intend? Because yes, it's worship and it honors God and and all of those things are the emphasis of the Lord's Supper. But think about this. The Lord's Supper is a solemn reminder of Christ's sacrifice. Jesus, keep me near the cross, one song says. And you and I need to be near the cross. And it doesn't need to be something we just think about every four months or at Christmas and Easter, and that's it. The Bible teaches that God wants us to be near the cross 52 times a year. First day of every week. Reminded of what Jesus has done for us. Not only that, it's a practical reminder of the unity of believers. Because of that identification that's going on. Because of the coming together aspect of all this. We are tied together. Not because we all speak the same language. Not because we all have the same ethnicity or the same culture. We are tied together by the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. That's what binds us together. And if we ever lose sight of that, and if we ever start to focus on the other stuff, we're going to have division, and we're going to have strife, and we're going to have terrible problems. But Jesus can bind people together in a way that nobody else can. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. It also ought to cause us to examine our feelings toward one another. How do you feel about your brethren? What problems exist in your relationships with your brethren in Christ? The Lord's Supper causes us to stop and examine that question. The Lord's Supper teaches people about the death of Christ. When a visitor comes in and they don't know anything about Christian worship, they don't know anything about what New Testament Christians do to please their God, They see us eat bread and they see us drink the fruit of the vine and they may ask the question, what does this mean? It means that Jesus died for us and that's the most important thing about us. The fact that Jesus died for us, that's who we are. We're the blood-bought people of Jesus Christ. It teaches our young children, Jesus died for us. It's not just eating a cracker. It's this is what Jesus did and you need to appreciate that. It also helps us to anticipate his return, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. He's coming back. And every week we're reminded of this until he comes. Don't ever eat the Lord's Supper again. Don't ever observe communion again 
without thinking about what it means to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and without doing so in a way that respects the great sacrifice, the death that he gave for us. That's what this lesson has been focused on. Maybe you're not a Christian and you need to obey the gospel. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that right now, this morning. Come to Jesus Christ, confess your sin, repent of it, confess his name, and then be baptized. Unite with Jesus Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. And then every week, remember his death in the Lord's Supper. If we can help you in any way, why don't you come forward while together we stand and while we sing.